Philippians chapter 4. And it says, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Oh, here are my favorite verses. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. So, uh, Pastor Lynn's on vacation this morning. I'm the backup pastor. (laughs) And in conclusion, no, I'm I'm kidding. Uh, In your worship guide, you'll see, though, that this is a strange week, so in your worship guide, you'll see that there's just a bunch of lines this week. So your challenge is to write down every word that appears on screen this morning. I'm I believe in you. I know that you can do it. I also know that Pastor Lynn was said, well, he said anyway, that he was going to be watching this morning from his Paradise Hotel on the Gulf Coast. So everybody turn around and look at that camera right there and say, hey, Pastor Lynn. So let's get started. Let's jump right in this morning because I got a lot to share with you. I'm really excited about it. And um, I know that you've come expecting something as well. Hopefully the sermon will feed you. Just like we just saw. Let me start with a little bit of audience participation, though. Um, Show of hands, how many of you would consider yourself a glass half full kind of person? You're a glass half full kind of person. Okay, all right, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, How many of you would consider yourself then the glass half empty kind of person? Yes, yes, yes. Now, Chris and Kelly over here on the front row, you may be the only couple who both raised your hand for the same thing. Usually that, that works oppositely. You know, it's the old adage, opposites attract, and it really is true. But she, told me which one to vote. she told you which way to vote. Okay, that, that makes sense. <laughs> I have this theory, and it's just a theory. I can't really prove it except anecdotally. I have this theory that everybody is born, born with the glass half full kind of idealism, that everybody comes into this life naive to, well, naive to its pain. And part of the human experience is learning to manage our feelings of frustration. You're familiar with that quote that into every life a little rain must fall. Well, sometimes when that rain falls, it frustrates us, and so we we have to learn to manage that. Still, I, I believe that deep down at the core of our beings, every single person universally, every single person wants to have hope. 
We all want to believe the best. For example, uh, when you got engaged, all right, ladies, when he proposed to you, maybe he got down on one knee like this. I'm going to give the camera people fits because they're only used to going this way. You got down on one knee or he got down on one knee and you, and you looked up at your beautiful bride and you said something like, darling, love of my life, light of my existence, will you marry me, right? And she looked down at you and said, I guess. <laughs> no, no, of course not. That is not the way it went. Nobody had to coach you or tell you to be happy or excited. It, it came naturally to you because at that moment, you were filled with all kinds of hope for the future. And then you got married. And after a few dreamy years together, the reality of life sets in. And guess what? Two really can't live cheaper than one. Whoever told you that was mistaken. And maybe now your marriage is kind of like this Instagram quote that my wife sent me. Don't know why, but she sent it to me. Uh, this, oh, this, this is what we're talking about this morning. My wife sent me this, this Instagram quote. Marriage is where you gasp while your husband is driving. Again, I have no idea why she sent this to me. While your husband is driving and he gets super annoyed. And that happens over and over until you die. It's kind of true, isn't it? I mean, that's pretty much been my experience whenever I'm driving. So you're hardly ever gonna see me driving is what I'm trying to say. Um, this morning, I, I wanna talk to you about the secret life of the Apostle Paul. Did you know that the Apostle Paul had a secret life? Well, uh, he did. Um, it's not a terrific secret because he wrote about it for us in Scripture. So we're going we're gonna to talk about that this morning for a few minutes. But before we do, I, I need to share with you a little bit of backstory, a little bit of background. And so to try to make it interesting and fun, I'm calling this truly useful Bible trivia. All right. You got that? This is truly useful Bible trivia. So here we go. Uh, this will make sense when, when we get to it. Around the years 51 to 53, we're not exactly sure because the calendars were a little different back then, but between the years 51 and 53, the Apostle Paul was jailed. He was thrown into jail in the city of Philippi. Now, that may come as a surprise to you if you're not familiar with the New Testament and its history, or maybe you've been around for a long time, you've heard all these Bible stories, and that's no surprise to you at all. So around the years 51 to 53, the Apostle Paul is jailed with a good friend of his by the name of Silas in the city of Philippi. And you can read all about that in the book of Acts chapter 16. It's a pretty cool story, to be honest. They went to Philippi. They found a bunch of people who were meeting together by a riverbank. They started talking to them about uh, this, this person who had lived in the, in the area of Judea. And, and he, he went around healing people and feeding people. And then he died. And then miraculously came back to life. And this is new to them. They never heard the story before. And so many of them believed and a church was born there in the city of Philippi. But in the middle of all of that, Paul found himself thrown into jail. And the story of how he got out is incredible. You really should read it. We don't have time to deal with that this morning, but it's in Acts chapter 16. I challenge you to go read that this week. Here's, a, here's a, just a little taste of it. The city officials ordered Paul and Silas, that was his buddy, stripped and beaten with wooden rods. Ow, 
Um, they were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was ordered to make sure that they didn't escape. So what did he do? This is a big deal. He's ordered to make sure they don't escape. This could be serious. There could be consequences if they did. So he put them into the inner dungeon because the outer dungeon wasn't bad enough. He put them into the inner dungeon, and he clamped their feet in the stocks. And the story of how they got out, again, not this morning, but it's really incredible. You should go read it next, Acts chapter 16. So back to our truly useful Bible trivia. Between the years 51 and 53, Paul is jailed in Philippi. About 10 years later, between the years 60 and 63, Paul is, once again, in prison. Only this time, he's in the city of Rome. And he's writing back to this new church that had been planted, well, it was new, 10 years before, that he and his buddy Silas helped to found. He's writing back to them, these Philippian believers. And he says this, and this is, this is kind of weird, if you just stop and think about it for a minute. He says, every time I think about you, this is in chapter one of, of his letter to the Philippians, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. So when Paul thought about Philippi, he didn't think of prison. I mean, I, I think I would have thought of prison, but Paul had he suffered a lot. He'd been in prison many times. He'd been shipwrecked. He'd been, people have thrown rocks at him and left him for dead. They thought he was dead, so they just left, and then he got up and walked away. This happened to him over and over and over again. He had kind of a tragic life sort of a miserable existence. But if you talk to Paul, he wouldn't have felt that way. If he were here this morning and we could interview him and we could say, hey, Paul, tell me about your experience in Philippi, I doubt that this prison imprisonment with his jail would even come up. He thought of people. Not only did he think of people, but he was thankful for them. And when he thought of them, he felt joy. Not, not as I said, Paul, in the year that he's writing this, Paul is under house arrest in Rome. So it seems natural for him to write to his friends in Philippi, these people that he had helped come to faith, with a list of complaints. You wouldn't believe how they're treating me. The food in here is terrible. I barely get any yard time. He, he didn't say any of that. I mean, I certainly would have because, after all, misery loves company, right? Of course it does. So if you can't say anything nice, come sit next to me goes or he could have easily just ignored his imprisonment just don't mention it you know there's a certain stigma attached to that so it's something maybe he would rather not have brought up but he didn't shy away from it he didn't just not to mention it he chose to see the situation differently and instead of complaining he actually lists get this now this is where it gets really weird paul lists the benefits writing back to the philippian believers he lists the benefits that had come from his incarceration in Rome. Look in verse 12. I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. Everything? I mean, getting thrown in jail has helped to spread the good news, Paul? Yeah, for everyone here, including the whole palace guard, the palace guard, the whole palace guard, like Caesar's palace guard? Yeah, that palace guard. The whole palace guard knows that I'm in chains 
because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. So would you say that Paul was a glass half empty guy or a glass half full guy? What would you say? Yeah, I think he was a glass half full guy to say the least, to put it mildly. But really, this was more than just looking on the bright side or making the best of a bad situation. It was more than that because let's go back to our truly useful Bible trivia. You see, five years before Paul wrote this to the Philippians down here, 60-63, and five years after Paul was jailed in Philippi, the people to whom he's writing, right in the middle there, Paul wrote to the believers in the city of Rome. This is like six degrees of Kevin Bacon here, the way it goes back and forth. About, so right in the middle there, Paul writes to these believers in the city of Rome and says one of the most famous quotes that's been recorded in all the, of the New Testament. And you know it. You can probably quote it along with me. But here it is on the screen. Acts from Acts chapter, ta- chapter 8. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. So Paul had become, five years after he writes this, Paul had become a living, breathing illustration of his own inspired writing. And he had even done so in the very same city to whom he had written these words. Now, how cool is that? Truly useful Bible trivia. Now, Paul's attitude was, re- was remarkable, sure. Uh, far better than mine would have been. But before we dive into how the Apostle Paul managed to maintain such positivity in adversity, let's put a label on Paul's perspective, okay? So I can just quit talking about his attitude and we can call it what it is. Or better yet, let's see what Paul called it. So this is our text for this morning. It was already read by my lovely assistant up here on the stage. Philippians chapter four, I have learned how to be, what did he say? Content. I've learned how to be content with whatever I have and how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or with little. Content. That's how Paul described his feelings, his attitude. And he said, I'm content in every situation, whether he was living on almost nothing or with everything. Paul had learned the secret of living that way. And honestly, that sounds kind of terrific to me and kind of terrible, true, at the same time. Because most of us would love to learn how to live with everything. That sounds great. Yes, please, Lord, teach us how to live with everything. But few of us would want to face the flip side of that coin. Then again, if we knew what it meant to be truly content, would our circumstances really matter that much? So the answer to that question probably depends on your definition of what content is. So let me give you one. Content. What is meant by content? I'm going to define it by what it's not because these two things are easy to confuse. Contentment is not complacency, right? Those, those are different. Just because you are content with the way things 
with your situation doesn't mean that you are necessarily happy with it or that you're good with the way things are. I mean, those are different. Complacency says, I don't care. Do what you want, I don't care. Everything's fine. You take care of you, I'll take care of me. That's complacency. Contentment is far different. While complacency says, I don't care, contentment says, I am cared for. Somebody's taking care of me. How many of you have children? Show of hands, audience participation. How many of you have children? Good. How many of you have grandchildren? Okay. How many of you have pets? Ah, I'm so sorry. Anyway. I have one too. Would you like him? Um, if so, if you have children or grandchildren or pets, you know what contentment looks like. You remember when those little ones were tiny and they would let you know real fast if they weren't content. It wasn't hard to tell. And then when that diaper is changed or that belly is full or that sleep is all tanked up and they're all good, that is the most beautiful sight and sound in the world. Nothing smells better than a baby that's just been changed. I don't know why that is. Nothing sounds better than a baby who's asleep. <laughs> However you describe it or define it, contentment did not, and listen to me, contentment did not come naturally to the Apostle Paul. Wait, what? I thought you said he was a glass half full kind of person. Well, maybe he was when he wrote this, but it didn't come naturally to him. And you know how I know that? Because at least twice in the verses that we read, he said, I have learned. I have learned how to be content. And I know now how to live on almost nothing because I have learned the secret. Have you ever heard of spontaneous combustion? I used to be fascinated with this idea when I was a kid that things could just burst into flame like that, like a burning bush or something. Now, while spontaneous combustion may, in fact, be a thing, there's no such thing as spontaneous contentment. No such thing. Doesn't happen. Paul learned how to be content because he flexed it like a muscle over and over and over again. He worked on it, developing his gratitudinous maximus. Okay, some of you will get that later. That gives me hope. Me, yeah, that gives me hope because who wouldn't want to be content? And if Paul could learn to feel content, to feel cared for, which is the definition, then so can I. The only question that remains is how? What was Paul's secret? It's a good question. Lord, cure us of our addiction, waiting for the next season of life to think we're good enough, waiting for the next number on the scale to say we're okay enough, waiting for the next dream the next house, 
नेक्स्ट अपा The next bend in the road that finally makes us feel we've arrived at contentment. Forgive us, Lord, for our waiting room addiction. Addicted to always thinking we're in a waiting room. Counting down the days till we enter real life. And real life is happening right now. And you are the one waiting for us to give you thanks for the miracle of now. Wake us up out of our waiting room addiction. I'm 25 days thankful for our baby's laughter. I'm 15 days thankful that who I am is enough. And cure us with thanksgiving. I'm three months thankful for where I'm living right now. I'm 45 days thankful for my life now. Show us how we have room in our lives to give you thanks right now. I'm three weeks thankful that I have a job to provide for my family. I'm one day thankful for the gift of now. So what was Paul's secret then? Well, it's in those verses, well, almost verses that I shared with you already from Philippians chapter 4. I've learned how to be content, he says, with whatever I have. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. And here's the secret. It's in verse 13. You probably have it memorized. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. See, Paul's secret really wasn't much of a secret at all. He spent his life traveling the known world, telling everyone he could about Jesus, the Christ, and his life-giving power. But Jesus doesn't only offer power for life someday in heaven, life tomorrow in the future. Jesus also came to offer us power for life right here, right today, right now on earth. Jesus said, John chapter 10, I am the gate those who come in through me will be saved. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. That was part of the reason why Jesus came. Not just to save you for a home someday in heaven, but to give you a rich and satisfying life here and now. Paul claimed to live by that power, to find contentment even through it. And it seems pretty clear that Paul thought we could have that exact same power too. Otherwise, how could Paul honestly, I mean, if you read the rest of chapter four of the book of Philippians, how could Paul honestly expect anyone to take him seriously? Consider this. Paul wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament. Now, today we call them books, but Paul, of course, wouldn't have called them that. They were just letters, and some of his letters were short and some of his letters were relatively long, but none of them had chapters or verses. All the chapters and verses were added centuries later just for us so that we could make quick references. Now, as Paul's letters go, Philippians, this book that we call it, this book of Philippians is shorter. It's just four chapters. You could read the whole thing from beginning to end in about 20 minutes. But in this one portion or chapter of this one letter short letter or book, Paul gave the Philippians some pretty audacious, outrageous advice 
I mean, look at some of the stuff that he told him to do. Verse 4, always be full of joy. You know anybody like that? Those people are annoying. Can I get an amen? Thank you. Always be full of joy. Come on, be real. How about this one in verse 6? Don't worry about anything. Are you kidding me, Paul? Don't worry about anything? Are you serious right now? Come on. I couldn't help it. The first thing I thought of when I, when I read this was Bobby McFerrin from 1988. Don't worry, be happy. That's basically Paul's advice. That's Paul's advice right there. Don't worry, be happy. And then verse 8 of the same chapter, chapter 4, this is, this is hilarious. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. All great advice, but come on. I mean, how exactly am I supposed to do that all the time? So, you know, like Pastor Lynn, I love a good movie reference. So when I read this about, uh, think about thinking about things that are excellent and worthy of praise, the first place my, went, my mind went to was uh, Bill S. Preston Esquire from 1989 who said, be excellent to each other. Yes. <laughs> Nobody? Okay, thank you, thank you. There's a few people out there. Good, good. So what's Paul doing here in chapter 4? Is he just promoting the power of positive thinking? I mean, honestly, how could anybody consider this good advice? If Paul was a counselor and you went to him for counseling, well, Apostle Paul, I've been feeling so good about myself lately. I've been kind of depressed. Oh, don't worry. Be happy. Always be full of joy. Uh, Paul, I feel like you're not taking my situation seriously. More to the point, is any of this advice that Paul gives us in chapter 4, is it even possible? Everybody knows, I don't care how pie in the sky you, like, you would like to think of yourself. Everybody knows what it feels like to be drained of joy and filled with worry and paralyzed by worst case scenario thoughts. So what, what hope can we really have when we feel this way? And there's Paul's secret again. The secret of hope and contentment. None of this is possible. There is no hope. There is no peace to be found without the life-giving power of God offered to us through Jesus. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus said, I have been given all authority or power in heaven and on earth. Jesus possesses the only unstoppable force that can budge what feels like our immovable objects. And of course, Paul knew this. So there's actually a bit more to his advice from Philippians chapter 4 than just what I showed you. Uh, yes, he did say always be full of joy. But just to drive home my point, let's look at the rest of what he said. In the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Just to drive home his point. Let everyone see that you're considerate and all you do remember the Lord is coming soon. See, Paul's secret was you can't do it. You can't talk yourself into a better way of feeling. Life doesn't work that way because you don't have that kind of power. But there is one who does, who has all power, all authority on heaven and earth. And he can fill you full of joy. What about his advice in verse 6? Don't worry about anything. Don't worry. Be happy. Instead, 
Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you'll experience God's peace or contentment, satisfaction, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. You can't do it, but God can do it in you. And then one last thing. Now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. This is the last bit of advice that I shared with you. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing. And then the God of peace will be with you. See, when it comes to your thoughts, my thoughts, the things that pop into our heads, we may not always be able to choose what they land on, our thoughts. Because our brains are constantly being bombarded by competing signals and they all want our attention all at the same time. But thank God, you and I aren't wired that way. We all literally have a one-track mind. We can only think about one thing at a time. And I say thank God because that means that you and I can always choose what we dwell on. We can always choose where our thoughts are fixed. And so that's why Paul was able to say, fix your thoughts. Now you and I, we, we're able to think about things that are true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent, worthy of praise. But at the same time, we cannot physically think of other things. And that's a blessing. But this too is a skill that has to be learned and like all skills, it takes practice. So Paul's advice was to them and is to us to practice. Practice all you've learned. Practice all that you've received and seen and heard from other godly leaders. And at the end of all this practicing, at the end of all this practicing is, say it with me, peace. Peace. At the end of all this practicing is peace which is just another word for contentment. And that's one great thing about coming to church. Here you're surrounded by people like, who, like God, are for you. We're all pulling in the same direction. We're all trying to fix our thoughts on things that are good. And you're invited to listen and to learn and to practice what you see and hear here. Uh, we, we're not perfect. There's only one person who ever was and he died to prove God's love for you. So the question this morning to you is, will you accept God's gift? Will you stop trying so hard to do it all yourself and let God live through you? Philippians wasn't the only letter that Paul wrote from the city of Rome while he was in prison. He also wrote to another group of Jesus followers at another city called Colossae. And as we close, I want you to listen and learn from his words to those believers. And now... Just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built up on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with, what does he say? Thankfulness. Thankfulness. You will overflow with thankfulness, not because of the power of positive thinking or because you somehow managed to develop a heavenly mindset, 
or because you're a glass half full kind of person, you'll overflow with thankfulness when you root your life in the one who died for you, who was sent from God to pay the penalty of your sin. So I invite you this morning to do that. Just turn it over to him. Life hasn't been going the way you want it to. Welcome to existence. The question is, who are you living for? Are you living for you? Or are you living for something or someone greater than you? There's only one that I know of who's really worth living for. So what are you going to do this morning with what you've heard? Father God, thank you so much for the, this place where we can come, we can learn, we can listen, we can see, we can hear, and we can practice fixing our minds on things that are good and true and admirable and praiseworthy. Thank you for the examples of seasoned believers that we see here for the truth that is taught here, for the encouragement that we get here to keep on keeping on, to keep on pressing toward the mark because we know that a prize awaits us if we do. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.